Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier, and I'm glad to have you with us as we continue our discussion about being instruments of righteousness. The righteousness aspect is incredibly important in the kingdom for a number of reasons. First and foremost, because our Lord and Savior is righteous, and we are called to be conformed to His image. But also, it is in His righteousness that, as Scripture tells us very plainly, the righteous are bold as a lion. Contrasting that, this is from Proverbs 28, that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. In the previous episode, we were discussing all that happened in the kingdom with Ahab, the king of Israel, and even with the king of Judah and Jehoshaphat, and how ultimately they went to war after an alliance and becoming allied, and all the prophets that came, and especially Micaiah, who gave the word that Ahab would not make it through the battle. Which if we study this out, we find from 1 Kings chapter 22 that this was the third war campaign against Aram. Now, this is incredibly important because Micaiah was thrown in prison for his bringing the word. And as the word of the Lord is true, that word came to pass. But the important thing is that Micaiah brought it. And he brought it with confidence, saying this is exactly what was going to happen, what was going to take place. This is what the Lord had shown him. And again, that came to pass. Now, for those that may not have studied this out, there's an important thing that we must know. Again, we were discussing this in, in some detail last week. There were many people, prophets, priests, kings, on the scene at this time, to include Elijah. Oftentimes, Elijah is looked at, and when we read the account of what happened during his life and how the Lord used him, it's easy to, to think or be, get a wrong understanding, a misunderstanding that he was the only prophet there, and that was also his understanding for a time. Except that in chapter 1 Kings chapter 19, the Lord tells him very plainly while he was at Horeb, fleeing from Jezebel. This begins in verse 15. It says, The Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, where you, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, 
of Abel Mahola. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the word of Hazael. Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to, to Baal or Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. So depart from here. So he departed from here and found Elisha, the son of Shephat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he with the 12th. And Elisha passed over and to him and threw his mantle on him. So it's important because Elisha had a word from the Lord as to what would take place. And he, just like all of us, was required to walk that out. Now, how does that connect to Ahab? Well, from the beginning of when we're introduced to Elijah. In chapter 17, he is standing before King Ahab and clearly giving a, a word from the Lord to him. And this had continued for some time prior to King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat making their alliance. This is in 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 17. It talks about how it mentions the last recorded word that Elijah spoke to King Ahab. It begins in verse 17 and continues through the end of the chapter. And Elijah tells him very, very plainly what was to happen, a, a word from the Lord. In verse 17, I'll just read the first few verses. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in, his, in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall say to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lift up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. And in verse 20 says, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And if you continue reading through the end of the, the chapter, it talks about how Ahab, after he'd heard the words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, he fasted, and went about despondently, grieving. And then the Lord again speaks to Elijah, saying, You see how Ahab has humbled himself before me. And because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. He'll bring the evil upon Ahab's house in his son's days. Saying, 
to just to put it plainly, that Ahab would not have to bury his own sons. He would not see his posterity, his future generations, wiped out before his eyes. That he would die first. And then in 1 Kings 22, it says how three years had passed without war between Aram and Israel. But then is where we, if we're going back to this, Jehoshaphat and Ahab form an alliance or ally together. Now, that's another very bold word from the Lord. Very bold. Notice Ahab's response. It was very different from the next word brought by Micaiah. But clearly it reminded Ahab of the word already spoken, which is why he took the measures he did in an attempt to circumvent the word of the Lord. Which is why he didn't dress up as a king. He, he just... He tried to disguise himself. But yet, the word of the Lord still stands. Now, lastly, there's Jehu, which as we just covered. And this, we now have to turn to after this battle where they, where Ahab was defeated and died. And this is in Second Chronicles chapter 19. The first four verses say this. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to the safety of his house in Jerusalem. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and also bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? But there is some good in you. For you have removed the Asheroth from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and bought them, brought them excuse me, back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And how did he do it? He instituted these reforms. And you will find that the reforms he instituted now three years in are the exact ones that we read about in chapter 17 where it talks about Jehoshaphat's good reign and his heart was toward the Lord and he did through those three things he built up a strong army and these are not in the correct order actually we'll, we'll go to the correct order forgive me the first one was that he had a heart towards the Lord Secondly, he, he brought on board officials made up of the heads of some of the tribes. Heads of families that knew the Lord as government officials. He even brought in the Levites as government officials and some of the priests. And they went throughout all the cities to teach the people the gospel. That's the second thing. Third was he built up a strong army. And the Lord honored that. Those were the reforms that were instituted. But again, 
This is from Jehu. It's another strong word. Instead of being so much of an encouragement, he's telling him to pick himself up and get it together before the Lord. He's also providing some admonishment, saying, we need to straighten this out before the Lord with the people. The people that are in opposition to the Lord should not be dictating what happens in this nation. So again, the reforms came in. Now I bring this up because each of these individuals spoke to a king with boldness. And yes, they, they each had different outcomes. But there's something, and, and by different outcomes... Elijah, Elijah, excuse me, continued on with what the Lord had for him. And he was teaching and then training up Elisha after that last meeting that we know about with Ahab. Micaiah was thrown in prison, and then we don't hear anything else concerning him. And then Jehu is now giving a word of the Lord to Jehoshaphat and helping provide guidance and direction. Now, how did these individuals have such boldness to stand before kings regardless of the outcome? And and. We have to understand this about boldness. That it is not the principal thing, but it is a byproduct of other things. We're going to make it more clear here in a second. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4. And beginning in verse 23, it says this. Now, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to to God in one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devise a vain thing, or devise futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, yes, there is a lot in that section of Scripture. But there, I want us to recognize a few things. 
boldness. First of all, let's, let's define it, or we'll allow Webster's to define it. It says, it has actually seven definitions for boldness, or for bold, excuse me. It is fearless before danger. It is showing a, or requiring a fearless, daring spirit. It is impudent, impudent or presumptuous. It is assured and confident. It is sheer or steep as in cliffs. Is it, it is adventurous and free. Six is it stands out prominently. And set, seven, it is being or set in bold face. Now, of all those three, assured or confident is clearly the most applicable one. You know, oftentimes in the faith, boldness is misunderstood as being this thing that allows us to then just speak. And even when misunderstood, with a, a sort of brashness to it. Whereas we're told throughout Scripture, let's speak the truth in love, because that is part of righteousness. But where does this boldness come from? In the very section that we just read here in Acts, let's recognize some things. When Peter and John were arrested and threatened and all these things happened to them, right? And then, of course, they were released. It talks how they went back to their own companions. And when they told them all the things that happened, they acknowledged, one, that the Lord was in control, what he had did, Right, which also which comes from Scripture, right from the Word of the Lord. And then they acknowledge what's happening. But they acknowledge that, again, God is in control, again, by a Word of the Lord through David, which comes from Psalms chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And then they all again acknowledge, hey, the Lord is in control and he has done whatever. There, the Lord's hand and the Lord's purpose had predestined to occur. And they also exhorted the Lord to take note of the threats and grant that they, bond servants of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, would speak the word with all, some versions say boldness, some say confidence. But then it says at the very end, they began to speak the word of God with boldness. I want us to understand something here. Speaking the word of God is not just reciting a scripture or taking a word out of scripture to then get in someone's face brashly, unrestrained, unbridled. In each of the examples we gave, whether it was Elisha or Elijah, excuse me, Micaiah or Jehu, they spoke the word of the Lord that he had given them to speak. And this is where the confidence lies. 
because we love the Lord, we are able to then listen to hear what he is saying to us. And when he says those things to us, whatever it is, whether it's because he showed us in his written word or because he spoke it, just like he did with the the three examples of prophetic words that, that were spoken there in Elijah, in Micaiah, and in Jehu. They, through faith, stood on those words. They put their full faith, trust, confidence, and their hope in the word of the Lord. And because their hope, their confidence was in the Lord, now they were bold. They could say what needed to be said. They they could do what needed to be done because of, yes, their love for the Lord and their faith in him. That's where their confidence came from. So now they could demonstrate that through their obedience. Let's think back to when we were children or if you're a child right now. When your parents say something, it is what it is. There is full faith, hope, trust, confidence that what they said they will bring to pass. It, when there, is, there are challenges, is there any question in a child's mind that their parent won't get involved on their behalf, won't sort the issue out as the parents said they would do? No, none. That's the confidence, the boldness, so much so that even if a larger child takes something, steals a bike, whatever it is from the smaller, weaker child, the smaller child has no problems standing up and saying, I'm going to let my father know. And my father's going to deal with this. And then runs to go get their father. And full confidence expects the rightful outcome. Regardless of what has happened or what the other person continues to do. That is boldness. But it comes from as a a byproduct, if you will. But also it, it demonstrates how if you will, are not just are having boldness, but faith and wisdom also intertwine. Because the child can act out on its own, his or her own initiative. It can't say whatever the child wants. It can't do whatever the child wants and expect to receive the same outcome. Neither can we. Neither can we with the Lord. There must be a word from the Lord in order to stand on. Now he's given us his word, written, but he's also speaking to us, leading us in the moment through Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Acts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit the place where they were shaking, the place where they gathered, excuse me, together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. 
with confidence because they could hear the word of the Lord for themselves. And then receive it in faith and apply it to their lives. Putting their, their love, their faith, and their hope in the Lord. Demonstrated by their obedience to carry it out. Whatever the Lord said to say and or do. Now it's important for us to understand this. Because it wasn't just for that time period with Elijah and and Micaiah and Jehu. Understand that these were just people. They didn't do everything perfect. Absolutely did not do everything perfect. The word of the Lord came that we read from 1 Kings 19 came to Elijah because unlike in earlier times where there was the drought and the Lord told him, go over to this brook as I will provide for you there and then go over to this widow in Zarephath and and the Lord will provide for him there. After having one of if you will, the greatest victories where fire was called down and 450 prophets of Baal or Baal were destroyed along with 400 prophets of the Asherah. He ran away from Jezebel and hid himself in the cave. The Lord asked why he was there. That's not confidence in the Lord. And again, it says very plainly that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. We're not judging or condemning, but we can acknowledge that we don't always get it right. Well, let's not remain there. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 10, as we spoke about Jehu as well. It says this about Jehu, if you will, a review of his life. This is in, oh, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 10, starting in verse 28. It says, Thus Jehu eradicated Baal, or Baal, out of Israel. However, as for the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart, even the golden calves that were at Bethel, and that were at Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab, according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. And I say this for us to examine each and every one of us. Again, 
I bring this up not to condemn Israel. All scripture is written for us, for encouragement, for edification, for admonishment, for exhortation, and yes, even for rebuke. Let's examine ourselves and go, am I teaching, training, equipping others, exhorting others, even like Jehu did? To do what's right in the sight of the Lord. To turn their heart completely towards Him. But have I been unwilling? Have I been unwilling to do that in my own life? And I would encourage you not just to examine yourself, but when the Lord reveals that to you, when you sense that tug from the Holy Spirit and He, he points it out, to be willing to allow him to help you deal with that and uproot it from your life, replacing that thing with truth. And by truth, I mean the word of God, his spoken word to you and his written word. The Lord never contradicts himself. He is consistent beyond measure. The same yesterday, today, and forever from eternity to eternity. Because that is righteous. And that, again, the word of the Lord, and standing on Him, on the Lord, on His word, is where our confidence or our boldness comes from. If you notice how Ahab was fleeing, even in the battle. Nobody even knew where he was. But he was fleeing. While all these individuals that we have read about, but also that are in the great faith chapter in Hebrews 11, they all gained approval by their faith. Their faith in what? And the Lord and his word that he spoke to them, they stood on that with everything they had with full confidence. Because they loved him, they sought him. All those individuals lifted wanted to know the Lord's ways and his thoughts. They trusted the word of the Lord above everything that their eyes or ears saw and heard. They did great exploits for the Lord. It's similar to what's mentioned in Acts. That they were standing on the word of the Lord and, and acknowledged that, yes, they wanted to speak his word with all confidence, but also acknowledge it was the Lord that was extending his hand to heal and to perform the signs and wonders that would take place in in the name of Jesus. Because the Lord is the one that was directing them as to what to say and what to do. All done in love. Love for the Lord first and foremost. And love for his people. Our neighbor as ourself. 
So I just want to encourage us with that today to truly understand boldness and where it comes from. It is a byproduct of our love and faith in the Lord. That's why we have our hope or our confidence, our boldness comes from standing on that word. And it is demonstrated by our obedience to the Lord. Unwavering. Unwavering, unshakable confidence. So we can receive that kingdom, that unshakable kingdom. Because we will also be unshaken. Holding fast to the Lord. So I just want to encourage you all with that this evening. And exhort you to continue. And thank you for standing in righteousness and justice for the Lord. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.